0: Signs of progress in the fight against COVID-19, with the state still working to ramp up vaccinations. Today, the latest from the Statehouse and the nation's capital, as we hear from Senator Todd Young, Senator Mike Braun, Congressman Andre Carson, and Congresswoman Victoria Sparks. Plus, President Joe Biden's one-on-one interview this Super Bowl Sunday, and we reflect on the city's Super Bowl legacy with former Mayor Greg Ballard. It's all ahead this Sunday in Focus.
1: Exploring the issues that matter most in Indiana.
0: This is in focus with Dan Spieler. New developments this week in the fight against COVID-19. The state will be getting 100,000 new doses of the vaccine this week, but no changes yet in terms of who is eligible. Teachers have been asking to be included. They have not been yet, but there are new policies for schools that take effect tomorrow. Could mean fewer situations where a quarantine is required. This as talks continue in Washington, Over the next round of coronavirus relief, something President Biden discussed in his Super Bowl Sunday interview with CBS News. Middle class folks need help, but you don't need to get any help to someone making 300,000 bucks. And you can see the president's interview with CBS later today. Good morning. Happy Super Bowl Sunday. Today, we're also checking in with our Washington bureau ahead of another busy week. There's the impeachment trial starting Tuesday. We're also hearing from our Indiana lawmakers on the ongoing relief negotiations. Democrats moving ahead after an Indiana senator and his colleagues met with President Biden this past week. Rashad Hudson has more.
2: Both sides say they want to put money into the pockets of Americans, but the big question is how much. Republicans want a smaller scaled back amount, while Democrats are saying go big.
3: I have no tolerance for delay, no patience.
2: Democrats like Connecticut Senator Richard Blumenthal are urging their Senate colleagues to move quick on COVID relief. The bill is very bipartisan because it will include a lot of Republican priorities. Virginia Senator Tim Kaine says there is common ground between Senate Democrats and the gang of 10 Republican senators that met with President Joe Biden Monday night.
4: But the president is to be credited uh, for his response to a counter proposal
2: indiana republican senator todd young says the 1.9 trillion dollar price tag on the president's plan is too big considering the last relief package was passed in december
4: much of which has not been spent and much of the cares act from early last year has not even been
2: distributed one of the differences between the two plans is republicans want to offer one thousand dollar checks to low-income americans whereas president biden wants to deliver $1,400 checks to the same citizens included in the last round. Senate Democrats say they're confident that they will deliver a COVID relief package in the coming weeks. In Washington, Rashad Hudson, back to you. Rashad, thanks. Friday, after the Democrats
0: voted to move forward, Senator Young said, quote, President Biden has emphasized unity, but actions from his Democratic counterparts in Congress aren't matching up. Their plan to ram a one sided package through Congress without bipartisan negotiation is the opposite of unity we are also hearing from indiana senator mike braun who i spoke with one-on-one this past week it looks like democrats plan to move ahead on the president's proposal for covid relief despite the efforts of some in your party including senator young who was there at the white house this past week is that ultimately what's going to happen or is there any other room for compromise here
3: You know I think so because uh, I think it was done more for process and uh, kind of extending that uh, invitation to talk. Uh, I think it was pretty clear when they talk so much about getting their point of view across. They now control the you know levers of power that um, and I think that's the thing you gotta be careful of. Uh, I've found that when they get something in their Uh, agenda it pretty well is lockstep uh, to completion Uh, on our side we generally have a little more uh, herding that needs to be done so uh, yeah I think we're going forward and out of the gate uh, through the executive orders uh, basically unraveling everything that Trump did including the stuff we all know that was working Uh, I come from Main Street running a business before I became a senator not one thing it's been done, to me, helps get us back to the economy we had pre-COVID. And I'm going to talk about that and uh, not going to be an obstructionist on stuff in general. I've tried to really look at each nominee, which has been where we've spent most of our time. But what I see out of the gate, I don't think bodes well for the economy or what they really need to accomplish.
0: You mentioned some of the nominees. You voted to confirm Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg, who was sworn in this week, but you voted down some of the president's nominees. What are your thoughts on the on the overall makeup of the president's cabinet and also how will the impeachment trial next week impact the confirmation process for some of the remaining nominees?
3: So, number one, any vote that we make is probably to indicate a point of view or a protest vote, Uh, I think they will hold rank and get every nominee probably across the finish line. A new president does have, uh, should have the um, ability to put his team together and um, in this case nothing, I don't think there's not going to be one of them that doesn't get across the finish line anyway.
0: A lot of talk this week about the future of the GOP. Mitch McConnell, Kevin McCarthy, Congresswoman Green. Do you feel your party needs to evolve beyond some of these episodes that we've seen play out in recent weeks that might involve conspiracy theories or or other outrage-driven grievances, perhaps?
3: Well, that's obviously not a building block to expanding uh, the party. And I've been outspoken that... We should learn from recent elections that we got to bring more young people, uh, more uh, ethnic and minority groups into the party as young conservatives and get them to become Republicans and we need to make the case. I don't think you do it by, uh, you know, having uh, extreme points of view as part of it. So uh, to me that's a no-brainer. All right. My interview there with
0: Senator Mike Braun. This week, our Washington Bureau took some of those same questions about the future of the GOP and the stimulus talks to members of Indiana's congressional delegation.
2: Uh, We're looking at increasing uh, direct payments to $2,000 for families, support for vaccine distribution, testing, uh, additional aid to small businesses, funding to save state and local jobs, and and extension of unemployment benefits.
5: We shouldn't just spend billions in five minutes stroke of a pen and one hour just decided, here it is, here's another check. How many more billions are we going to write like that without looking really what's happening?
4: This uh, Biden so-called COVID relief deal has hundreds of billions of dollars that would go to bail out blue states like Illinois on the backs of taxpayers and fiscally responsible states like in my state of Indiana. Republicans are on the side of where most of the American people are on a wide range of issues. So the more that Republicans can unite, move on, get back on our feet and move on and focus on the issues, the more likely it will be that we win back the majority. But as far as Marjorie Taylor Greene, things that she said and tweeted in the past are, are despicable. Um, she was, uh, from what my understanding, she scrubbed them from her Twitter account uh, and distanced herself from some of the things, the terrible things that she said. Uh, but it's a slippery slope to remove members of Congress from committees.
5: Regardless how I feel what she says or what she says, I don't like something they say. We also have to defend everyone else's First Amendment rights to express their opinions. Because where do we stop when we decide in Congress what people are going to do, what committees they're going to sit? I think you know we have voters that make these decisions. And I think we have to be careful before we decide to sanction committee members based on what they said, he said, she said. You know, someday we'll be in majority. Should we start doing the same, take all Twitter accounts of, you know, Democrat members and decide, do we like what they said, do we don't like? I think that's a slippery slope.
0: Green was stripped of her committee assignments for those comments through the years, endorsing conspiracy theories, even violence in some cases. Still, all of Indiana's Republican lawmakers did vote to keep her in place. A spokesperson for the Indiana Democrats said, quote, the Indiana Republican Party declared their morals no longer rest in science, truth and the American values we've cherished. Much more on that with our panel. Also ahead, we'll talk about the Super Bowl ad put together by the State Health Department as we discuss the politics of the pandemic. And later this morning, we Reflect on Indy's Super Bowl legacy with former Mayor Greg Ballard.
6: Just to see how
4: many people he impacted, it made me want to do that in my life.
0: The family of late North Central High School Athletic Director Paul Logan encouraging Hoosiers to get vaccinated and wear a mask. They'll be in a commercial that'll air during the Super Bowl, reaching more than a million Hoosiers. Let's bring in our panel now to discuss that Super Bowl ad from the Health Department and the state's response to COVID-19. Joining us today, Pete Seat, Robin Winston, Laura Wilson, and Adam Wren. And we start with former GOP Communications Director Pete Seat. Pete, some have questioned the cost of that ad. How do you weigh the cost and the benefit of Running an ad like this during the Super
4: Bowl? $123,500 to air an ad during the Super Bowl in six Hoosier markets is a drop in the bucket, especially when you consider the importance and the urgency of the message that's in that ad. Um, it's also very targeted. We know that men are the least likely to want to get the vaccine. And what do men watch? The Super Bowl. So the state is doing their job to share the message. I remember when the vaccine rollout began, we were saying, how do we get this message out to people? How do we encourage them to get the vaccine? The state's doing its job right
0: here. Well, let's bring in Robin Winston, now former state party chair for the Indiana Democrats. Robin, the governor, also facing some criticism from those who feel it's time to focus on expanding vaccine eligibility to teachers and, and other educators. Paul Logan. I knew Paul Logan. Um, He was in Washington Township Schools, He's the athletic director.
7: Um, Paul Logan made a a major impact on lots of young people. And if in his legacy uh, upon his death, we can save more Hoosier lives, it's it's worth spending the money. Pete is absolutely right. Uh, Those of us who who have to raise the money and then buy political time know that $123,000 in six markets to help combat the fact that we've lost almost 12,000 Hoosiers to a, a pandemic it's well worth the spend.
0: All right, all this is we do continue to see some, uh, some significant improvements in our state's daily case numbers. But Adam, also at the State House, uh, more issues here this week with constituents uh, coming to testify who won't wear a mask. No real effort to enforce those rules at the State House, it seems, even as debate continues over a, a number of measures that might limit the governor's powers or the state's powers in a situation like this.
8: Yeah, Governor Holcomb has largely throughout this process been really thoughtful and forward thinking about the importance of uh, educating people uh, about the importance of wearing masks. And yet this week, it's a little disheartening, uh, I think, for anybody concerned about health and safety, uh, you know, to hear him say that, um, you know, it's it's important to take an education approach with these people. Uh, we're a year into the pandemic, and I'm just not quite certain that, um That people who aren't wearing masks are going to be open to the idea of being educated, Uh, and and yet it's it's a difficult problem to solve. Do you find these people? Do you uh, keep them from weighing in um, at the State House on matters that impact them directly? Uh, It's certainly a sticky uh, wicket to solve.
0: Complicated issue there, no doubt. Laura, what about the situation in Washington as we talk about coronavirus relief and the president's stimulus plan? It certainly looks like Democrats are indeed now poised to move forward without any Republican support.
6: It, yeah, exactly. And we talk about like this concept of budget reconciliation. It's not something we discuss a, a lot, even though it's been used at this point in 26 times since it originated in 1974. This is an opportunity of, of action. Certainly there's the emergency front, right? People are, are needing this For economic relief. And at the same time, uh, when President Biden campaigned and when he had his inaugural address, he talked a lot about bipartisanship. It just seems that this might be a case where the Republicans and Democrats disagree. But early into the administration, this is something that I think we'd really like to see uh, both parties working across the aisle and something that if you don't have support for this particular package, if this particular policy goes through regardless, uh, what kind of What what pathway are we establishing? What kind of precedent are we establishing for the future in in the upcoming years for this administration and certainly for this Congress and other policies?
0: Robin, what about this relief bill? Should Democrats go it alone? You you saw the statement earlier from Senator Young saying this uh, is discordant in his view with the president's message of unity.
7: Well, it's the same thing that we had to do on the stimulus under President Obama. It's the same thing that we had to do under Affordable Care, which, if I remember correctly, many Republicans campaigned saying that they were not going to bother the Affordable Care Act. So, once again, if we have to go it alone to benefit the American people, it's well worth it,
0: Dan. Adam, you also have this dynamic now in Congress, and specifically the GOP, trying to find its identity post-Trump administration, Liz Cheney, Marjorie Taylor Greene. How do they keep these factions together, and how are Indiana Republicans managing that dynamic?
8: Well, Speaker, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy has talked uh, about the importance of keeping a big tent. That's always been part of the GOP DNA uh, throughout its history as a party. Um, And I think that that's sort of the approach here. But you also have figures like Senator Todd Young, who is a thoughtful, serious person, whether you agree with him or not, uh, saying that the GOP needs to confront real challenges like the fourth technological revolution, uh, like, uh, you know, uh, immigration that's happening. um, you know, those are going to be the kind of voices, I think, that ultimately carry the day uh, in the party. But it's a matter of, of when. Um, yeah. And it could be another eight or 12 years before sort of the Trump fever uh, breaks on the and, Republican Party.
0: And, Pete, I'll give you the last word on this here. How, how does your party navigate that divide in the midst of everything else going on and the, the looming impeachment trial and everything else happening in Congress?
4: Well, it's it's not earth shattering that there's a family feud going on in a political party. Uh, Democrats are dealing with this as well, with AOC trying to primary members of her own caucus and, and take them out in uh, the next election cycle. It's unfortunate, though, that there's such a magnifying lens when there is drama in the Republican Party. But I would I would say it's in Washington. You don't see that same level of drama in many of the states, including here in Indiana, where we are largely cohesive and rowing in the same di- direction the way we should
0: be. All right. Thank you all. We'll see you again here in a couple minutes. Coming up next this Sunday in Focus, more of our interview with former Indianapolis Mayor Greg Ballard from the pandemic, to the politics of our time, and his memories of the Super Bowl here in Indy next. Well, on this Super Bowl Sunday, we're reflecting on Indy's Super Bowl legacy and other big topics in the news with former Indianapolis Mayor Greg Ballard. What are some of your fondest memories of the city hosting the Super Bowl right here? <laughs> well,
1: the Super Bowl was a lot of fun. There are so many good things about it. I mean, it's a good game, too, but all, it's all the activity 10 days ahead of it where Mark Miles and Alison Mellington and all those folks who did a great, great job putting it together. I always thought we could pull this sort of thing off, but those, those, uh, you know, first five or six days where I was walking through the village, it was pretty obvious to the people from the area who said, and I heard this repeatedly. He said, mayor, I've never seen our city like this. I can't believe we can do this. And I, and I, I always thought we could do this, but uh, it was pretty clear that the, uh, everybody's chest was puffed out a little bit during that time frame because it was such, such a fun time. We were on the international stage at that point in time and it was just so fun. It was just so fun and we did it so well uh, compared to anybody else that's ever done it.
0: So many mayors and, and local health departments are having to make incredibly difficult decisions right now. Uh, as you watch all of this play out, are, are there things you think you would have done differently as you put yourself into the shoes of mayors in, in I guess not just our city, but everywhere? as we uh, face all of these challenges together.
1: Yeah, I I get asked quite a bit, aren't you glad you're not in office? I said, no, I think we had a good team. I think we would have handled it well. However, I'm not, you notice I haven't criticized anything on that. I I mean, it's not my nature to do that. I think the people in office deserve to to do their job without people like me uh, on the sidelines saying anything, but I'm I'm actually, but privately, this is what I've been telling people, I give them a lot of leeway because they're looking at numbers that probably the rest of us aren't seeing. And uh, it, you know, it can't be easy for mayors or the governor to look at people who are dying in the community from COVID. And, and I, I think on some level they feel that, like I'm sure they're thinking, could I have done something different? And, and I know that feeling, uh, I had that feeling several times uh, when I was a mayor, like could I have done something differently to prevent this? And so I, I give them a lot of, a lot of leeway, a lot of slack, because I'm, I think they're making the best decisions that they can. I just think they're working hard, as hard as possible to do this. And and unfortunately, some of the decisions are questioned all the time and, and there, there have been horrible uh, uh, things that have happened as a result of this. A lot of small businesses uh, having to close or certainly losing money along the way. And I, I hate to see that. But I I, I, can't, I hope that the, the government officials are making the best decision that possibly can to get, but because I, th- I think they care. I think they're trying to do the right thing.
0: I also want to ask you quickly here about where we are as a country. You, you served in the military. You also considered running for Congress last year. Had right. you run and, and had you won, you would have been there on January 6th. Right. 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 Have you reflected on that and more generally on what that day means for our nation, your party, and and how we move on from the events
1: of that day. Yeah, actually, um, in my in my adult life, that shook me up more than anything else. I'm I'm pretty. I kind of let things play out. I don't get overly uh, dramatic about it too much uh, because it, I think it's, sometimes it's good for let, let let things play out. But that one, that one really affected me because I I I, I know some of my Republican friends are not going to like what I'm saying going to say about this. But this was a violent attempt to overthrow the will of the people. This was the certification of the vote uh, to um, the federal election. And they're in there to stop that vote. I don't see how you can see that any other way. And that's sort of thing has never happened since I've been alive. But they, I mean, what else can that be other than they were down there to try to stop the vote. They were in the Capitol trying to stop that vote. It was pretty clear what happened. And then they were in there trying to overturn that violently. I don't, I don't see how you can see that any other way. And, and it's, uh, it was very disturbing to me. And I, um, and I, I don't like the fact that uh, some members of our party are trying to excuse that sort of thing. But I, I think that was horrible.
0: All right, Ballard recently announced he and his wife are moving to South Carolina now that they're retired. Stick around. We're back right after this. Super Sunday coverage all day long on CBS 4. After Face the Nation, the Super Bowl today pregame starts at 2, leading up to Super Bowl 55 between the Chiefs and the Buccaneers. Time to wrap things up here with this week's winners and losers. Pete, I'll start with you.
4: I'm going to go with two winners and no losers this week. Pete Buttigieg the now-confirmed Secretary of Transportation from Indiana, and Indiana GOP Chairman Kyle Hupfer, who is picked to be General Counsel of the Republican National Committee. Big news there for
0: them both. Laura?
6: I only have one winner, winter, and that's Budweiser, as we were talking about before in terms of advertising. While I will miss the Clydesdales at the Super Bowl, this is the first time in 37 years they're foregoing advertising there, and they're going to be spending their budget on coronavirus vaccine yeah. education.
7: Robin? The NFL, which uh, the commissioner announced today, stadiums are going to be open for vaccines, uh, distribution all over the place. Tremendous effort by the NFL.
0: Adam. Yeah, two
8: winners, uh, Todd Young and Pete Buttigieg for some of the reasons that have already been stated, and, and one loser, and that's me as the father to a newborn boy who's running on about two to three hours of sleep.
0: Get some rest. Hope you get to enjoy the game. Thanks so much for watching, everybody. Enjoy your Super Sunday. We'll see you next week.